May 24th started out like any other Tuesday. We have some breaking news out of Texas for you now. Police. But around 1.30 in the afternoon, we started getting reports of a school shooting in the small West Texas city of Uvalde. At first, we heard that at least two people were dead with more than a dozen injured. Then the Texas governor said 14 children and a teacher had been killed. Then it was 18 kids, one adult. By the time the day was done, we had what would end up being the final toll. 19 students, two teachers. The second deadliest school shooting in U.S. history. 19 children dead, 19 families who will never hold their children again, who will never feel safe again. And the community is in anguish. Now, if that was confusing to keep up with, imagine how horrific it was for families who had kids at Robb Elementary that day. And then imagine how angry they were in the days and weeks that followed when they could not get a straight answer from officials about what exactly happened on the worst day of their lives, May 24th. Today marks exactly two months since that terrible day. And two months later, these families in Uvalde are finally getting some official answers to their questions. But most say it's too little and much too late. My guest today is CNN's Rosa Flores. She's been trying to get answers, too, from Uvalde all the way to the state capitol in Austin. We talk about what we learned from a Texas House committee report, what accountability could look like, and what parents are demanding before they send their kids back to school. It's July 24th, and this is the Sunday edition of CNN Five Things. I'm David Rind. Rosa, you've been in and out of Uvalde ever since the shooting back in May. Before we get to this report, can you just describe what it feels like in the city right now? You know, in Uvalde, the pain is palpable. People are constantly coming up to the memorial and praying. Just in the last few minutes, I saw a dad and a daughter. There's signs in both English and in Spanish. Uvalde. Para siempre serás memoria. The hearts of the people in the community have just been shattered. And they're trying to pick up the pieces. They are grieving. There's a lot of children who visit this memorial. Many of them look the same age as the children who died. And they're also calling for accountability. And I think that's the really tough part for this community is, is they're so hurt. And they're having to fight. That's what they've said in their own words. They're having to fight now for accountability. Right. So can we step back? Because I know there's been just a lot of twists and turns, a lot of information that was proven later to be not true. So remind me, what was the narrative put forth by law enforcement in the days after the shooting? You know, immediately after the shooting, there was this sense that law enforcement responded swiftly, that they saved lives, that they were the heroes in this case. And then everything changed. It was reported that a school district police officer confronted the suspect that was making entry. Not accurate. It started off with, there was a police officer who engaged the gunman. Oh no, there was no police officer who engaged the gunman. What efforts were the officers making to try and break through either that door or another door? Get inside that classroom. None at that time. Why? The, the on-scene commander at the time 
believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. And then there was a press conference by Texas DPS Colonel Stephen McCraw where he laid it out saying that wrong decisions were made. And this is where then we start to learn that the decisions were actually catastrophic. Okay. Hey, from the, from the benefit of hindsight where I'm sitting now, of course it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision, period. And my colleague Shimon Prokopez tried to chase Pete Arredondo, the school police chief, uh, didn't get much from him. And just so you know, we're going we're gonna to do that eventually, obviously. When? And whenever this is done, and let the families quit grieving, then we'll do that, obviously. But so. I think the other thing that's important to note, that in the background of all of this back and forth and the changing narratives were the families. I could tell you that as we were news gathering and you know in the middle of the live shots that we were doing, uh, we could see the processions heading towards the cemetery and the funerals were going on. So it was just a mix of so many emotions for this community because, you know, in the background, people were talking about accountability and, and holding those people who were there accountable, but the families were still grieving. So last week, the Texas House Committee released their report. What was in it? You know, this report, I think, was the first time that we learned the vast and broad failures by law enforcement on multiple levels. It states the lackadaisical approach to their response, the breakdown in command. And it does point to school police chief Pete Arredondo specifically because it states that Pete Arredondo wrote the active shooter policy. He wrote himself in as the incident commander. He wrote that the command post was going to be in the administration office. But then here comes May 24th and there is an active shooter and none of that happens. Everything falls apart with hundreds of officers responding and none of them using the training that they have to go in and save those children. I think another important point in this report is that at different times during that standoff with police, the shooter started shooting again. And it's at those points in time that this report says that the training of those officers should have kicked in and they should have gone in, breached the door, shot and killed the shooter. Hey, what was that? And I think another key thing to note from the body camera video and also the surveillance video is that 911 calls were happening. Hmm. Children from inside those classrooms were calling 911, pleading for help, hoping that police could go inside and save them. Sir, if you can hear me, please put your firearm down, sir. We don't want anybody else hurt. I know, I That's know. That's what we're doing. We're trying to get them out. And that didn't happen until after 77 minutes. Just devastating. So what has the reaction been from victims' families and the people in Uvalde who are looking towards the next school year, which is fast approaching? You know, they're devastated. Families are devastated. As you know, some of them have more children who are expected mm -hmm. to go back to school, and they're very concerned about safety. They're very concerned about sending their children back to a school that they don't trust. I understand you've sent out an email to address upgrades to the school, perimeter fencing and security cameras and things like that. But why were these issues not already addressed? 
because David, some of these failures are just so basic. I get ID to be able to check my child out for a doctor's appointment, but this killer walked right into our school. Some of the failures are doors not working. Right. The doors not locking. When you go home tonight and you lock your doors before you go to bed, remember that shouldn't be a luxury. In the report, it says that the school administration and the school police knew about some of the unsafe practices and that they did nothing about it. I want your resignation and every single one of you board members because y'all do not give a damn about our children or us. There's a call for superintendent to get fired. There's a call for the entire police force to be replaced for these families. I mean, they live in a small town, so you got to put yourself in their shoes. I mean, they see the police officers at school board meetings. Those same police officers are the ones that wand you at the door. They see them at the gas station. They see them at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And for them, it's a constant reminder of the failures of the school district. Hmm. So I guess what happens next for all the other officers, the hundreds that you mentioned that responded on that day? Could there be criminal consequences for this inaction that the report described? You know, we learned from Texas Department of Public Safety, which is the lead investigating agency here, that the ongoing criminal investigation includes examining the actions of law enforcement. Now, that stood out to me, David, because this is the first time that we've heard from Texas DPS that they're actually looking at the actions of law enforcement in the criminal investigation. So it's going to be interesting to see if that actually happens. I've reached out to the district attorney because she would be the one to file charges if charges are filed. And I haven't heard back, but especially in a state like Texas that is you know, very pro-police, it'll be interesting to see if, if charges are actually filed. We pay over 40% of the city budget for the school and for the police, and you hire trash. That's not right. I lost a loved one right here, my only granddaughter. You know, David, from talking to a lot of the families and listening to their testimony, they've gotten to a point where they say that they really don't feel that they can trust anybody. They don't trust officials. They don't trust law enforcement. They're trying to figure out the final moments of their loved one. And they don't know if they will ever really know and understand exactly what happened. Well, Reza, thanks for your time and thanks for staying on this story. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Here's a little of what's happening this week. CNN has learned that former President Donald Trump will be back in Washington, D.C. for the first time since leaving office. He'll be giving a speech on Tuesday at an event put on by the right-wing America First Policy Institute. Meanwhile, his former Vice President Mike Pence will also be in D.C. this week. He's scheduled to address the Heritage Foundation the day before Trump's speech. Both men are said to be considering making a run for the White House in 2024. The Sunday edition of CNN Five Things is produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our production manager is Matt Dempsey. Our senior producer is Mohamed Darwish. 
Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers, and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. Special thanks this week to Dan DeZula and Rosalina Nieves. Have a nice week. I'll talk to you next time. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com briefing. netsuite.com briefing.